All right, praises be to our loving Abba that we are gathered once again to study his words and his commands. And tonight we're going to focus again. Well, it might be somewhat related to our topic last week, which was Halloween. Today we're going to look into how we can overcome and resist the devil. So let's go ahead and take a look at the questions uh, that surrounds this theme. This question will come from a nameless resource. Dear Brother John, I have a question for how do you repel the devil? I mean, in our everyday lives, the devil can bother us to do bad things, like, for instance, using or influencing other people that we interact with to do mean things against us, right? So, so. Uh, but what if the spirit of the devil itself is bothering us? How do we repel them? How did Yahushua and the early Christians deal with the devil? Is it true that one of the Marys in the Bible was possessed by the devil? Is it true that there was an instance that the other apostles were not able to expel evil spirits? Why? Are devils and demons the same? How can we expel, avoid, or fight them? Especially now that we are in their target. We are their target in these last days. They are after us, right? Please help. Thank you, Paul. Now, these are a good series of questions, and they all center around the theme of the devil, the demons, and later on, we're going to differentiate between a demon and a devil. But we need to know, first and foremost, why do we need to study all about the devil in the first place? Why should we be concerned about the devil? Let's begin our studies in the book of Peter 5, verse 8. Apostle Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So why should we be concerned about the devil? Because there is such a thing as the devil. There are some people who say there's no such being as the devil. There are no beings that are called demons. But the Bible tells us, quite frankly, our King Yahushua, the apostles, they all teach and proclaim the same thing. There is an enemy. And this enemy is likened to what? A roaring lion. Because of this fact, we need to be concerned. And what must be our response? We have to be vigilant. In other words, we need to prepare ourselves because if not, we're going to be devoured by the roaring lion, the devil. Now, why is the devil working so hard to try and devour people? The book of Revelation 12, 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Why must we be really, really vigilant, especially during our time? Because the devil, it comes with great wrath, and they seek to devour those who are their number one targets, because they know they have a short time. And so if you know you only have a short time, what will you do with the time left? You will do your best to fulfill your objective. And the objective of the devils and the demons is one thing, to undermine the authority of Yahuwah and Yahusha and to destroy those whom they love, namely the people of Elohim, people of God, we who are followers of Yahusha. So who are the number one targets of the devil? Which is why we need to be extra vigilant. Revelation 12, 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yahushua Christ. So who are the number one targets of the devil? Of course, the devil deceives the whole world. 
Don't get me wrong. He doesn't want any to be saved. So he deceives the whole world. But who are his specific and number one targets? The people loved by Allahim. Who are they? The remnant of the seed the Bible mentions here. And how can we recognize them? The remnant of her seed. They are the ones who keep the commandments of God. Now, what commandments of God is referred to here? Of course, it does not change. It's the same 10 commandments that Yahuwah God gave during the days of the Old Testament. It's the 10 commandments preached by Yahusha and also the apostles of Yahusha. So they are the ones who are the remnant of her seed. But in addition to obeying and keeping the commandments of God, they also are the ones who bear the testimony of Yahusha Christ. In other words, they proclaim Yahusha. They proclaim Yahuwah. And so they are witnesses of Yahusha. This is why we, the assembly of Yahusha, we who teach and keep the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, and preach Yahusha, who is the Messiah or the Anointed One, we are the targets of the devil. This is why we have to be careful with the work of the devil and his minions. Now, who are the minions? Well, they are, they're called demons, which brings us to this next question. Are devils and demons the same? Sometimes many people are confused. What's the difference, especially when you read the English Bibles? Because when you read the English Bible, it will read there for in the translation in English, devil. And when you look at the Hebrew word, it is uh, different from demon. Because they have two different words. Devil and demon are different in the Hebrew. But in English, they're the same. In the King James Version, for example, when you read devil, when you read demon, uh, when you read demon, it actually reads devil. So there's a lot of confusion between the two, which is why we need to know what's the difference. Are devils and demons the same? And so let's go look at the Hebrew word for devil. It is the Hebrew word diabolos. Diablo, interesting, because what do we call devil in Tagalog? Diablo, That's a, it's a Hebrew word, diabolos, which basically means slanderer, accuser, one who slanders or accuses falsely. Take note the part of speech, it is an adjective. And so a devil can describe a person even, right, who does the things, who does the work of slandering, or who does the work of accusing falsely. So when you accuse falsely, when you slander, you can be called the devil. That's an adjective for a person who does that. So that's what devil uh, means, right, from the Hebrew word. But we'll go a little later concerning who we can apply this term devil to. Let's go ahead and look at demon. What is the Hebrew word demon? It is daimonion, demonio, right? daimonion. And so in Tagalog, what do we call demon? Demonio. There's a lot of correlation between the Tagalog words and the Hebrew words, if you notice that. But daimonion refers to a kind of power, divine power, divinity, a spirit, but is inferior to God, evil, a spirit. So what's the difference between one who is called a devil and one who is called a demon? It's one of the good things about the uh, Blue Letter Bible is when you look at the Greek word or the Hebrew word, for example, or these are Greek words, by the way. Um, not Hebrew, I apologize. These are Greek words, not Hebrew words. So take back the similarity between Hebrew and Filipino. These are Greek words. So there's a lot of similarity also between Greek words and um, Filipino, I guess. 
right? And so anyways, let's go ahead and take a look at the Greek words, uh, daimonion and diablos. These two Greek words, when you look at them, and one of the wonderful things about Blue Letter Bible is when you look at the Greek word, it will give you the instances in the Bible where they are used. And so, for example, when we look at uh, diablos on the left side, this is when it's used. It's the Greek word 1228. You notice that on the left? On the right side, it's the Greek word G1140. So there are two Greek words, but you look at how it's translated. They both use the same English word devil, right? But in Greek, they are different words. One is uh, demon. One is devil. And so you have to keep note. You have to notice that. And so on the left side, devil, take a look at how it is used. How is devil used? It is some kind of temp a tempter, right? One who is described as a devil is one who tempts, one who takes away the word of God, one who murders, one who speaks lies, uh, ones who puts in the hearts of people uh, ideas that will betray Yahusha, one who oppresses, one who is full of subtlety and mischief, uh, one who perverts the right way of Yahuwah. So that's a description of what a devil does, because the devil is an adjective. And so it describes a kind of work, okay? Demons, on the other hand, when you look at the right, you notice they have a pattern, right? Demons are cast out. In other words, demons are able to occupy an individual. What do we call this? Possession, demon possession. Devils, they do not possess individuals. They can influence individuals. They can influence individuals by tempting them, by, by taking away the word from their heart, by lying to them, right? They have that influence. So it is an external influence, but demons, on the other hand, they can go inside of you and demons can possess you. This is called demon possession. So there's a difference between a devil and a demon. Only demons are able to possess an individual. Why is that? Luke chapter 4.33, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. And so a demon is an evil spirit. Now, what do we mean when we say it's an evil spirit? A spirit that does not have a body. You see, there's a difference between a celestial being and a spirit. A spirit does not have a body. A devil has a celestial body, but a demon has no body. It's just an evil spirit. A demon is an evil spirit that therefore can occupy another body, like the body of human beings. You see the difference, right? And so how about devils? What are they? Revelation 12, verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You see, in the heavenly realm, there are different celestial beings. We often call them angels, but there are different classes of angels. A powerful, powerful angel is what we can call a cherub, cherubim. Right, and we know that the, the, the dragon that was cast out was a powerful angel, but there are also regular angels who form a council. So there's a heavenly council 
of angels, celestial rulers who were tasked by Yahuwah to administer the affairs of the people of the earth. This uh, council of celestial rulers take on different monikers like the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, the prince of the power of the air. And so they administer certain functions on earth. And so they all have a, a body, a celestial body, different kinds of celestial bodies, depending on the work that was tasked to them. However, many of them went apostate. And so these apostate celestial rulers, one of which was the cherubim, and the other were the celestial rulers, they became uh, devils. They became shatans. And so we know that they are different from the regular demons or evil spirits in the fact that they used to be celestial rulers assigned by Yahuwah. So they turned against our father, uh, Yahuwah. And what is the end for these celestial angels, celestial rulers? In Matthew 25, 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you who curse into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so the shining one, the one that was responsible, the serpent, the dragon, the leader of them all, right? This regime who, whose work is to go against the authority of Yahuwah and Yahusha. Well, they are the ones who are condemned by Yahuwah together with his angels, right? This is why there's a place reserved for them. What is that place? Everlasting fire. This is why the devil and his angels, they're already condemned by Yahuwah. This is why people should not have sympathy for the devil and his angels. It's unfortunate because there's a lot of movies nowadays that portray the devil and the devil's angels, and they make it appear that these, these fallen angels are misunderstood, right? And so their story makes it appear that Yahuwah is like a tyrant, that he is overbearing, and that kind of idea is floating in the minds of many people today. And so they even begin to develop sympathy with the devil. But Yahuwah has already declared condemnation against the devil and his angels. And so we must not have sympathy with the devil and his angels because they're already prepared for punishment. There's no repentance that can give them salvation anymore. It's already been determined. This is why they know they have a short time. They're going to do their best to destroy the people of Yahuwah. So in short, when we say shatan, it basically means adversary. And so how does one become an adversary? When you slander and accuse the people of Allahim. And devils are, when we apply the moniker devil, it usually refers to the apostolic celestial rulers and also the dragon, the shining one, the powerful Kerub who fell from his place. And demons are evil or unclean spirits. They have no body whatsoever. They're like conscience, uh, consciousness, conscious. They're just, they're just mind beings. They're, they have no celestial body and they're able to occupy physical bodies like the people here on earth. And so that's when you put them together, the devil and their minions, the demons, collectively they can be called shatan. So shatan can either refer to one of the apostles celestial rulers, it could refer to the dragon, or it could refer to the demons collectively. And so shatan basically means an adversary 
of Yahuwah and Yahusha. And so that's the point. They're adversaries. They will go against everything and anything that is for Yahuwah and Yahusha. So what do we do with this piece of information? How did Yahusha and the early Christians deal with the devil? Is it true that one of the Marys in the, Bi in the Bible was possessed by the devil? So we need to understand uh, so that we can overcome the devil. What do devils and demons do, right? How do they devour people, specifically the people of Alahim? Let's begin here in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 2. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities... Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And so here we have an example of demons. How do demons seek to destroy the people of Elohim? One way is by possessing them. And some of these manifestations of possession are infirmities. What are infirmities, by the way? If you're in the infirmary, where are you at? In the hospital. And so various kinds of sicknesses and illnesses. A lot of times these are brought about, brought about by evil spirits in a person. And so one of which, one of those who were possessed by seven demons, that's a lot of demons, was Mary Magdalene. But of course, we know she was healed by the power of Yahusha. And Mary Magdalene, after receiving this healing, after receiving baptism, after becoming a disciple of Yahusha, she remained trusting him. Through death, and when Yahusha resurrected, guess who Yahusha first appeared to? Mary Magdalene. You can read that in the book of Mark, chapter 16. So what else can a person who's possessed by a demon able to do? Let's read Acts 16, 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. Apparently, these spirits... Well, they have certain powers that human beings do not possess. And so when a person is possessed by a demon, you can acquire these powers and abilities. For example, deceptive fortune telling, the skill to kind of manipulate your words to convince people that you can tell the future. Okay, so this uh, slave girl apparently was possessed. And because of that, you gain abilities that can be helpful for those who were greedy, right? In this case, the people who were using her to gain money. What else is, can a person who's occupied by an evil spirit able to do? Luke chapter 8, 26, 27, they sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Yahushua stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in tombs. And so we can see that people who are possessed by demons, they do strange things. People who get sick, infirmities, they're able to, to gain knowledge that they do not otherwise possess, like maybe knowing a certain language they did not know before, or certain abilities that they're able to do. What else? They're also behave, be, they behave in eccentric ways like this person who was possessed by demons. And because of that possession, he lived in tombs. Not only that, he did not wear clothes, right? 
And so he lived in tombs, did not wear clothes, and he was also very, very strong. Luke chapter 8, 28, 29, that when he saw Yahusha, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Yahusha, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. I want to pause there for a while. So these evil spirits, these demons who occupy a person, apparently they know about the son of God, right? And they're afraid of the son of God. They know what kind of power is he's destined to receive, right? And so when these spirits, these evil spirits find out that the son of God was right there, they became afraid. I beg you, don't torture me. For Yahushua had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And so the evil spirit that occupied this man apparently enabled him to become really, really strong, to break through chains and whatnot. But Yahusha can expel that evil spirit because he has the authority over demons and evil spirits. What also are demons able to do? Luke 8.30, Yahusha asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Now, of course, uh, one of the things that these demons are able to do is they can unite, right? I mean, when you say legion, that is in reference to the Roman legion. I mean, how many soldiers are in one legion? That's how many, perhaps, demons that has gone into this poor fellow. And so you can understand the torment this person was going through. And so Yahushua knows that these demons, they kind of go together in groups. And they're led also by the prince of demons, right? These prince of demons could be the celestial rulers, because they all work together with one goal. What is that? To devour the people of God because they want to undermine the authority of Yahuwah and Yahusha. So Legion tells us that this whole Shatan movement, they work together like a collective body. And they seek to devour the people of Elohim. Now, who is an example of one who is called Shatan? Let's read the book of Job 1, 6-7. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahuwah, and Satan also came among them. And Yahuwah said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered Yahuwah and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And so oftentimes Yahuwah in heaven, not on earth, but in heaven, he holds a council, right? And sometimes he invites fallen angels like Shatan. And this adversary has a conversation with God. God, our almighty Elohim Yahuwah, asks him, what have you been up to? <laughs> right? It's walking to and fro on the earth. And then he talk about Job. Remember, Yahuwah Abba was very, very proud of Job. And so he was kind of basically like really talking about him and admiring him. And so Shatan decides to place a wager with Yahuwah. And Shatan tells Yahuwah Abba that the only reason why Job does what he's doing, that he's faithful and worshiping God, is because of the benefits, the blessing that he has. And so the wager was on, and Yahuwah gives him permission to put Job to the test, Job 1.12, and Yahuwah, Yahuwah said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, 
only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahuwah. So we know this celestial ruler, or perhaps it's the Cherubim himself, this Cherubim, this celestial ruler, right? Who was called Shatan. And so he's a, a devil. This devil has power. And if we go back to the story of Job, you know, he has power to control the forces of nature, a power to kill human beings, okay? And so not only do they have the power to control and influence individuals, they have the power to control and influence the affairs of men. This is why when we go back and study history, like the history of Babylon, the history of Persia, the history of Greece, we have principalities and powers who are behind them. What does that mean? What that means is we have these celestial rulers who are influencing the affairs of leaders and policies because they all work together under the regime called Shatan, the adversary of Yahuwah, to undermine again the authority of Yahuwah and the plans and purposes of Yahuwah Abba. However, good news is, although there are principalities and powers occupied by these spiritual rulers, good news is in Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And so there are these powers and principalities, in other words, there are these authorities, spiritual rulers that rule from the heavenly realm. And this is what is what we are up against, according to Apostle Paul. We are against not flesh and blood, but these principalities and powers and dominions. These are these celestial rulers who fell and they're working the working out the affairs of mankind here on earth. However, we have nothing to fear. Because there is one who is far above all of them. Who is that? Our king, Yahusha. Not only is Yahusha far above all of them. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so basically, the power that these uh, spiritual rulers and authorities, the principalities and dominions, and the dominions which represent these celestial rulers, apparently their power has been disarmed because their power really is in sin and death. But Yahushua, through his, his death on the cross, he removed these powers because for those who belong to Yahushua, the power of sin and death is no more. And so they're basically what the what Apostle Paul is saying here is the fangs of the devil have been removed. <laughs> right? He no, he no longer has those fangs against us, that, that roaring lion. He no longer has those, those scary fangs against us. Uh, nevertheless, they can still influence us. And how does the devil, I mean, how did they what did they do against the disciples of Yahusha? Luke 22, 31 to 34, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. And so the Bible says that there is a devil. And although the devil has power and he has the uncanny ability to deceive and to mislead, Bible tells us that we are protected by our king, Yahushua. Nevertheless, 
he will not stop and try to make life miserable for us. What will he do? Well, the Bible says, Simon, Simon, who is that Simon? Peter, but it's not just Peter, but all the rest of the disciples. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. What does that mean? It means Satan is going to test the disciples of Yahusha like wheat, sift like wheat. In other words, he's going to go through our life and look and looks, and he will examine what brings us pain and suffering. He will examine our weaknesses and he will attack that, right? He will sift each one like wheat, just like what he did with the apostle Peter. And so what does Satan do? To try and devour the people of Yahuwah. In the book of 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters are all over, all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. And so how does the devil seek to devour the people of Allahim? Bible says he does so by bringing suffering in their life. This is what we find when we study the history of the early followers of Yahusha. Because the instruments were Nero, the Roman emperors, and these Romans, what did they do with the early followers of Yahusha? They sent them to the arena. This is why Apostle Peter, when he wrote this passage, he was creating the, uh, the image of a Christian or a follower of Yahusha inside the arena being devoured by beasts. Because the devil, that's what he did. He influenced uh, people in power, like the Roman emperors, to bring about suffering for the people of Elohim, to try and destroy them. But you notice the true and faithful followers of our King Yahusha, even though they were in the arena, all they had to do was recant their faith and say, I don't believe in Yahusha, I believe in the Roman emperor. They did not do that. Happily, they sang hymns in the middle of the arena, even though they're being engulfed by flames, even though they were being torn apart, shred, shredded apart by beasts. They kept their faith in Yahusha. And so, brothers and sisters, the devil, he still has power and authority to try and bring as much suffering in our life. Because he knows when we are in amidst suffering, it's a way for him to overpower and devour us. Which brings us to the most important and last question of all. But it's a question that we're going to spend some time with. And that question is, how do you repel the devil? Right. I mean, if he can do that, how can we possibly survive an onslaught by this regime called Shatan? How do you repel the devil? I mean, in our everyday lives, the devil can bother us with bad things like using or influencing other people. And how can we expel, avoid or fight them, especially now that their target in these last days, that's us. Right. So how can we resist the devil? How do you resist the adversary of our faith? We're going to discuss seven ways to resist the devil. Brothers and sisters, what we're going to share you, what we're going to share with you next is going to be very important. And so we want you to kind of clear your heads and take the opportunity to really absorb the material because this is the opportunity we have so that we can protect ourselves from the wiles of the devil. Because we know as we fast forward closer and closer to the end, 
to receive the promised salvation, we know there's going to be an increase in suffering, an increase in temptation, an increase in demonic activity. So how can we protect ourselves? Seven ways to resist the devil. What are they? Let's begin with number one, Ephesians 4, verse 27. First of all, don't give the devil a chance, right? Because like what we mentioned to you, he's sifting us as wheat. He's looking for the opportunity. So don't give him the opportunity. Don't give him that open window. Don't give him that unlocked door. It's like a person, you know, what differentiates a professional thief and a thief who is a novice? A novice thief, they try to break in a house. A professional thief, they look for openings, right? They look at the house, they look for an open door, an open window, and that's what they use. And they don't have to break in. If there's no opening, they go to the next house, right? And so let us not give the devil an opening. Let's not give him a chance. And what often will give the opportunity for the devil to wreak havoc in our life? We let us stay in Ephesians because this is really, really telling. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, if you become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. And do not stay angry all day. Don't give the devil a chance. And so the Bible says, you know, one of the ways by which we give an opportunity or a chance for the devil to do his work against us is when we linger on our anger, right? When we stay angry all day. And some people stay angry a long, long time, right? Because when you're angry, the devil knows that's an opportunity, an opening for him to influence us. Because when a person is angry and he thinks angrily, he think he becomes hateful, bitter, and he, he ends up destroying the lives of other people. He becomes like the devil himself. This is why Ephesians 4, 31, 32, Apostle Paul um, advises us, get rid of all bitterness, passion, and anger. No more shouting or insults, no more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. And so what must we remove so that we don't give the devil a chance? Toxic emotions. What are they? Anger, bitterness, hateful feelings. When we have those feelings, we become the instrument of the devil. How can we get rid of those feelings? Forgive one another. I know sometimes it's hard to forgive, right? But if we are unable to forgive one another, we set ourselves up for failure because we open ourselves to the influence of the adversary. And so brothers and sisters, let us not give the devil an opportunity. Who's an example of one who gave the devil an opportunity because he could not get rid of toxic emotions. Let's read First John. Uh, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So according to the Apostle John... What is one kind of toxic emotion that gives the opportunity for the devil to influence a person? Jealousy, right? Bitterness, anger, because it is what happened to Cain. He murdered who? Abel. So 
when we give ourselves to these toxic emotions, bitterness, anger, hatred, jealousy, hatefulness, then we open ourselves to becoming influenced by the adversary of our faith. What else must we do so that we don't give the devil a chance? 521-22, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Even in form, we have to abstain. This is why we have to test all things. This is what we did when we studied all about Halloween. One might say it's an innocent thing. It's just part of culture, but it has the form of evil. Even if one were to say, I'm going to participate in this custom called Halloween without the intention of worshiping demons. However, when we entertain such a custom, eventually we give way, we give the opportunity for the devil. And so brothers and sisters, don't um, entertain anything that will lead to evil. Okay, so don't give the devil a chance. Number one, what else? Besides, don't give the devil a chance. Ephesians 6, 13 down to 15. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, he's speaking to us about spiritual warfare. He's telling us our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual authorities of the heavenly realm. The principalities and the dominions, right? The devils and the demons, we're fighting against them. And so how can we prepare for this fight? Put on the full armor of God. And so what does that mean when the Apostle Paul is telling us, put on the full armor of God? He says, stand your ground, stand firm, and get your feet fitted with readiness. In other words, what Apostle Paul is telling us is we should be vigilant. Because when you say to a person, put on the armor, what does that mean? Get ready for battle. A person who does not put on the armor, what does that mean? They don't believe there's a battle taking place. And so what will happen to a person who's not prepared for battle because they did not take the time to put on the armor? They're going to be devoured, right? And so when Apostle Paul tells us, put on the full armor, stand firm, stand ready, be fitted with the, the feet of readiness, uh, with your feet fitted with, the, with readiness, that comes from the gospel of peace, he's telling us always be vigilant. You see, this world is not a playground. As one person said, it is a battleground. And so if we do not see the world as it is, full of danger, full of traps, we're going to be devoured. And so we are in a war zone right now. We might not see that, but we are in a spiritual war zone. And so because we are in a spiritual war zone, we need to always put on the full armor of God, which means always be ready. Like what Apostle Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, right? Be vigilant because if we're not vigilant, we're going to be destroyed. Unfortunately, when should, when should we all the more be vigilant, right? When should we all the more be ready? Let's read the book of Chronicles 21, 1 to 2. Satan wanted to bring trouble on the people of Israel. So he made David decide to take a census. David gave orders to Joab 
and the other officers go through Israel from one end of the country to the other and count the people. I want to know how many there are. And so here we have an interesting piece of biblical history. Bible says Satan wanted to bring trouble to the people of Israel. And so what did he do? He convinced David, he influenced David to take a census. What's so bad about taking a census? Well, it's something you don't do. It's something Yahuwah God tells you to do. And when did David decide to do this? After a series of military victories, he conquered all these nations. He conquered the giants. He got all the loot. He got a lot of wealth. And so he was riding high, right? You know, when you are victorious, when you're successful, oftentimes that's when we let our guards down, right? We don't become vigilant anymore. In times of war, we're vigilant. When we feel there's no war, we drop our guards down. Bible says, no, always put on that full armor. David, he, he put his guard down. And so he was easily tempted by Satan. And eventually David would have to pay for that, which cost him 70,000 people. 70,000 people died. And, you know, David sinned greatly against Yahuwah because he left his guards down. And Satan influenced him to do something which seemingly is innocent. And so we have to be careful about that. I mean, when you study biblical history, we have many examples of what happened to David, like Solomon, right? I mean, Solomon was the wisest of kings, and he became the one who eventually dedicated the temple. And because of his leadership, Israel became famous and became powerful and became wealthy. But at the apex of his success, uh-oh, he drops his guard. What does he do? He marries pagan women, right? And he builds uh, these temples for the idols, and we know he was rejected by Yahuwah. Even Hezekiah. Hezekiah. We know about Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah? What happened to Hezekiah? He prayed to Yahuwah when he had a terminal illness. He said to Yahuwah, please have mercy on me. Remember my works for you. And Yahuwah remembered, and Yahuwah told Isaiah, tell Hezekiah, I'm going to add how many years to his life? Was it 15? Right? But you know, that was a spiritual victory. After that, he let his guards down. And the Babylonians came to, to destroy his life and the life of Judah, life of Israel. So we have to be careful. And there's uh, the prophet Elijah. Remember Elijah? After he had that victory over the prophets of Baal, what happened after that? Probably left his guards down. And he wanted to, you know, he prayed to Yahuwah, just take my life. And so we have to be careful. We need to be vigilant. Put on the full armor of God. It means to be vigilant. It means to be ready, to be on guard, especially now. What else? What else is another way to resist the devil? Let's go back to Ephesians 6, verse 16. In addition to all this, the armor, which means to get ready, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So in addition to being ready to fight, we have to also have faith. How important is faith? You know, the Bible tells us, Without faith, it is impossible to please who? Yahuwah, okay? And if we do anything without faith, it is considered what? Sin. Do you see how life-changing and how powerful faith is? Faith is powerful. We must not take for granted faith to believe what Yahuwah said, even if there's no physical evidence for what he said to be true. And so because Yahuwah said it, we believe it. You get it? And that's the foundation of our faith, which takes us to one of the questions. Is it true that there was an instance 
that the other apostles were not able to expel evil spirits. Yes, in Matthew 17, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Yahusha replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Yahusha rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Yahusha in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And so here's an example of the apostles, the disciples. They could not drive out the evil spirit that occupied the boy. But when Yahusha showed up, no problem, right? And so in private, not in front of the boy, the parents of the boy, but in private, King, why, how come we can do it? I mean, we use your name, but why can we do it, right? So they want, they want to know the reason. And what was the reason? In verse 20, he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so according to our King Yahushua, what was the reason? Why the disciples were unable to drive out the evil spirit from the boy? The reason why was because they lacked what? Faith. And so if we lack faith, we cannot overcome the ways of the devil. That's how important faith is. Without faith, we cannot please Allah. Without faith, what we do is sin. And so we need to develop faith. And interestingly, our, our King Yahushua tells his disciples, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could have driven it out. Wait a minute. I thought Yahushua said they lack faith. And then Yahushua is telling them, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to go from here to there and it will go. Nothing will be impossible to you. What does that mean? What does it mean for our faith to be like a mustard seed? In another parable, in a parable of our King Yahushua, this is what he has to say about mustard seeds. Please take close, please, please uh, pay close attention to this parable. Uh, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And so when our King Yahushua compares the faith to a mustard seed, he, in fact, is trying to communicate to his disciples, you've been with me for a long time. Initially, your faith was that of a mustard seed. But if, he, if it is like a mustard seed, it should have grown by now, right? Because that's the nature of a mustard seed. It starts out small, but it grows. And when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. In other words, where King Yahushua was telling his disciples, your faith should be growing, it should not be stagnant. Our faith must not be complacent. It must grow because if it doesn't grow, it dies. Is our faith growing, brothers and sisters? Is our faith abounding? Because if our faith's not abounding, then how can we overcome the ways of the devil? Or how can we abound and grow in faith? Let's read the book of Hebrews. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. How can we grow our faith when we study scripture? But when we study scripture, we must combine it with what? Faith. Otherwise, it will not lead to growth. 
You see, if we want our faith to grow, we have to study the book. I mean, when was the last time we seriously took the time to study the book with the intention of growing our faith? If we want our faith to grow, we have to do it intentionally. It doesn't happen accidentally. We have to do it intentionally. When we read the book and meditate on the book, we communicate with Yahusha so that he can feed us, so that our faith will grow and become stronger. This is why our faith is tied to the word of God. The word of God, the study of scriptures, that is the core for growing our faith. Without it, our faith declines. Without it, our faith begins to, to wane and wane until we have nothing left. So that's the third thing. We have to grow our faith. What's the fourth way to resist the devil? Ephesians again, 6 verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Not only must we be prepared for battle, not only must we believe and have faith in the promises of Yehovah, we must also use the word of God as a sword. And so how can we use the word of God as a sword? What is the power that the word of God brings in our life? Luke 8, 11, 12. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so how important is the word of God? It is what will enable us to receive salvation. This is why what does the devil want to do? What does he want to do? He wants to remove the word of God from our heart. Why? Because without the word of God in our heart, we will not develop that faith. When we combine it with belief and that word of God planted in our heart, we become so strong in faith, the devil cannot resist us. And this is why we need the word of God so that we can use it against the wiles of the devil. And so faith and the word of God, they go hand in hand. They work synchronistically, right? And so we use both. We grow the word of, we grow in knowledge of the word of God. We grow in our faith. Why must we learn the word of God and continue to grow in the knowledge of scripture? Matthew 4, 1 to 4. Then Yahushua was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Yahushua answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's our King Yahushua. And what happened to him? He was tempted. Who tempted him? The devil, the shining one. He was going to attack our King Yahushua because he knew if he could convince Yahushua to fall for these temptations, he can no longer be out on the side, right? That's what he wants. But how did Yahushua prevail? Well, you notice what he said? Three words he said, which is the key. It is written. What does that mean? Our King Yahushua relied on the word of God. He knows and has mastered scripture, right? This is why he said, it is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So our King Yahushua overcame the temptation of the devil by relying on the word of God. And so even today, the devil is going to tempt us 
and he will try and destroy our life by means of trying to tempt us so that we need so we need to learn how to overcome that temptation you know, when it comes to temptation oftentimes what the devil will use is our physical or basic necessities in life like food right what am i going to wear or where am i going to live or our health because when a person is feeling that he or she is unsafe they become easily tempted right this is why this example is a good example. It tells us Yahusha, he was physically vulnerable because of the fact that he hasn't eaten for how long? 40 days. You know, this is one kind, this is a category of temptation where the devil is going to use our physical basic needs to try and tempt us. But not only that, the devil also knows not only can we be tempted by physical basic needs, you know, these are for the people who are really, really poor or are in times of adversity. He also knows there's a, a driving ambition in the life of every individual. And he uses that also to tempt us. What is that? Matthew 4, 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Yahushua said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship Yahuwah your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And so here's another temptation. The first temptation was to convince Yahusha to, to uh, convert the rocks into bread, right? Because he was hungry. Now he was catering to a human being's desire for power, for authority, for fame, right? To be recognized as somebody. And when you think about everybody wants to kind of stand out. This is why young kids, they always say, look at me. They accomplish something. Mom, mom, dad, look at what I did. Human beings want to be seen. This is why Facebook, social media, it's gone crazy, right? Because people want to tell other people, look, I'm special. And the devil knows that. And so he wanted to tempt Yahusha with the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he's doing the same thing today with us. And so Yahushua had the perfect answer. Again, where did he get the answer from? He said, it is written. It's from scripture. He said, worship Yahuwah your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. That was the third temptation. But there's a tempta another temptation. It's a second temptation. And the devil, the Bible reveals to us something about the devil which is why we have to be really careful, especially during these last days. There's something that we need to understand so that we can protect ourselves from the devil. We know he will use temptations that cater to our physical needs and also our desire to be great, right? What also does he do? The second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Yahusha answered him, it is also written, do not put Yahuwah, your God, to the test. What do we need to also understand about the devil? <laughs> he knows the scriptures, but he twists them and misapplies them. This is what he did with Yahusha. This is why Yahusha said it is also written 
Do not put Yahuwah your God to the test. Just because there's a promise of Yahuwah doesn't mean that we can put him to the test. This is why the devil twists the passage. He's a Bible scholar. He knows biblical Hebrew and Greek and some Tagalog to boot. This is why we have to be very careful, right? We have to test everything. And so because the devil also knows scripture and he uses scripture to convince, to deceive people, what must we, disciples of Yahushua, endeavor to do? Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So what must we endeavor to do? As we continue to follow our Messiah as members of the Assembly of Yahushua, we need to endeavor to know more and more of the words and the truth of Allahim's words. In other words, we should not settle for what we already know, right? Because all of us, we have elementary understanding, the elementary truths of God. But Apostle Paul says, by now you should be teachers. This is why we are going to be launching the discipleship program. And one of its three purposes, it has three purposes, and we'll reveal to you what they are. One of its three purposes is every disciple ought to be teachers, Okay, so we want to grow in our knowledge and understanding so that we can be teachers. Solid food. And how can we benefit from the word of God? By constant use. We train ourselves to distinguish good from evil because the devil is going to use scripture also against us because he's going to misuse and twist the scripture. And so when we take the time to really learn scripture, our faith grows as our knowledge of God grows. And as our knowledge of God grows, what will, be able to, what will we be able to do? Colossians 2, 2 down to 4. My purpose is that we may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. You know, brothers and sisters, there's so many fine-sounding argu fine arguments nowadays that take on the packaging of new age ideas and philosophies. Some who use science and evolution to try and kind of convince the people of Elohim to question the Bible. This is why nowadays there are young people who question whether or not the Bible is really the word of God, right? Many say, I mean, young people are asking, why do we believe and how do we know that the word of God is not a man-made book? How do we know it is inspired by Yahoo? How can we know, right? And so what we need to understand, the secret to knowing that is right there. Apostle Paul tells us, the way that you know it's from God, it reveals the mystery of God, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The more we look into the word of God, the more treasures of wisdom and knowledge we will find. And the more we have them, 
the more we can identify these fine sounding arguments that are not true. This is why the word of God was likened by Apostle Paul to a sword, right? What kind of sword? Let's read 2 Corinthians. We use God's mighty weapons. It's not just a sword. It's a mighty weapon, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And so the more we study the word of God with the intention of growing in faith, the more we're able to use as a weapon the words of God so that we can overcome and destroy strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. So that's way number four, grow in the word of Allahim. What's number five? James 4, 6 to 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What is another way by which we can flee or we can resist the devil so that he will flee from us? Bible says we have to submit to who? God. And how do we submit to God? It begins by removing our pride. Pride is something that Yahuwah hates. Remember the seven things that Yahuwah hates? Yeah. Yahuwah hates pride because Yahuwah saw what pride is able to do, right? This is why we need to protect ourselves from pride. What's the opposite of pride? Humble. We have to humble ourselves. Well, how does that, what does that mean? How do we humble ourselves? How do we submit to God so that we can resist and overcome the devil? First Peter 5, 6 to 8. Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand so that he will lift you up in his own good time. Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. Be alert, be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So how can we submit to God? How can we humble ourselves so that we can overcome the devil? Bible says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, which means what? Rely on him to lift you up during times of suffering, right? In his own good time. That's key. Because one of the favorite tools of the devil is to capitalize on human beings' propensity towards being impatient, right? Because human beings are impatient, especially today. We've been trained to be impatient. This is why we have Amazon Prime. <laughs> they really spoiled us, right? Because you place an order the same day, you get it, right? And so we're trained to be impatient. But, you know, the Bible has a reason for why things happen to us. And Yahuwah was telling us, you have to trust me. And so one of the ways we humble ourselves is to trust Yahuwah. And one of the ways we show that trust is by trusting in his timing. Yahuwah has his clock. Yahuwah has his time. He has his own good time. And so wait for Yahuwah to lift you up. And while we wait for Yahuwah to lift us up, what must we do? We have to give him, leave to him our worries. What must we believe and have faith in? That he cares for you. Okay? This is why a person who humbles himself, they rely not on their own strength. They rely on who? The strength of Abba. How do we do that? Ephesians 6, 10 and 18, a final word. Be strong in Yahuwah and in his mighty power. 
Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So according to Apostle Paul, how can we submit to God? How can we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift us up in his own good time? Apostle Paul says, be strong in the Lord. How? By praying. You see, when we pray, we say to God, Father, I don't rely on my own strength. I rely on your power and strength. If we don't pray, what does that mean? Oh, I got this. I can do this. I can manage. I have enough wisdom. I have enough strength. Right? And so when we pray, we say to Abba, I need your strength. I need your power. I need your help. I need your guidance. This is why Apostle Paul says, be strong in the Lord. How? Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. We have to be prayerful. Why must we be prayerful, especially today? Matthew 26, keep watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is why even in the example prayer that our King Yahushua gave in Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 10, right? Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. What does Yahushua say? Call him Abba, your father. Hallowed be the name of Yahuwah. And then he goes on to keep us away from the evil one. Right? And so when we pray, we ask for the help of Yahuwah to keep us away from the evil one. But, you know, the whole world is the evil one's playground. So we need strength. Yahushua says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what that means? We cannot rely on self-control. We cannot rely on willpower. What we need is the power of Yahuwah. How do we get that? By praying. And so we need to always pray. What proves that prayer works? Let's read the book of Luke 18.1. Then Yahusha told his disciples a parable to teach them that they should always pray and never become discouraged. This is why we have to always pray. It's a command of our King Yahusha. And it's such an important command. Yahusha created a parable for it. He told this parable to teach us that we should not just pray, but that we should always pray and when we always pray we don't become discouraged because discouragement as they say is the devil's number one tool because if you're discouraged that's an opening for the devil to use to destroy your life so our king yahushua always taught his disciples to always pray and who is the best example of prayer who's the best example of prayer who's the one who prayed all the time Let's read Luke 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. In Yahushua's ministry, he would often take time to remove himself from a social function, to go alone in prayer, right? To go to a mountain by a hillside. And he would pray all night. Think about it. If the Son of God relied on prayer, how much more we? How much more we? Right? This is why if Yahushua, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, relied on continuous prayer, we too must always pray. Because if we will not pray, it's like saying, I don't need that much help. Right? But we do need help. If Yahushua relied on prayer, we too must rely on prayer. But what kind of, what will make our prayer effective? Let's read Matthew 17. So Yahushua said to them, because of your unbelief, 
For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so the Bible tells us something about fasting. Now, when we talk about fasting, it's doing away without food. But in reality, the purpose of fasting is not simply to do away without food. It's to consecrate self. It's to exercise that part of ourselves to show to Yahuwah we're serious, devoted to his work. And so we need to stay away from wickedness. We need to stay away from sin. This is why in the book of James, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is what? Powerful. And so we must not just pray. We must pray with fasting or we must pray with consecration. And so that's the fifth way to resist the devil. Rely on Yahuwah's power and strength through prayer and consecration. What else? We're almost done. The six and seven. Let's look at number six. Luke 22, 31, 34. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to, to uh, sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am all ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Yahushua said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And so what is another way by which we can resist the devil? Well, it has to do with what we do when we fail. It's what, it has something to do with our, our response to failure. Because even if we try our best as human beings, because we're faulty, sometimes we stumble and fall, right? Anyone among us perfect? Here's Apostle Peter, champion of the faith, right? And Yahushua warned him in advance, Satan's going to sift you like wheat. And you're going to deny me three times. What did Peter say? No way. Lord, I'm ready, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. He had faith. He had conviction, right? But when the test came, what happened to him? He fell. He fell. But Yahushua pray, prayed for him that his faith will not fail. And he's praying for us too, that our faith will not fail. And so those whose faith do not fail, does it mean they're perfect? No. What does it mean? What did Peter do to fulfill the prayer of Yahushua that his faith will not fail? What did he do? He repented. Brothers and sisters, we must learn to repent. But for us to repent, we need to recognize our mistakes, our sins. We have to acknowledge and take ownership of our sins so that we can repent. Otherwise, we can't repent. And if we put off repentance, it's going to mess up our conscience. This is why we need to learn to practice true repentance. When we do not practice repentance because of stubbornness of heart, do you know what's eventually going to happen? Let's take a look at the, the story of the 10 plagues. We're not going to go through 10 plagues, but plague number five. Remember the story? Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh is stubborn. No, I don't want to let the people go. And so Yahuwah says to Moses, we're going to show 10 miracles, 10 plagues, and one plague after the other. And then on the fifth plague, the death of livestock, the, the death of like the cattle. And so when this plague came, what did Pharaoh say? Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. 
But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he still refused to let the people go. So here's Pharaoh. He had a stubborn heart. He did not repent, did he? And so because he did not repent, the, the plagues kept on coming. And so the sixth plague came, boils, Exodus 9, 12. But Yahuwah hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just as Yahuwah had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. Do you see what happened there? Pharaoh was stubborn. Because of his stubbornness of heart, what did he refuse? Repentance. He was, giving, he was being sent message after message, miracle after miracle, plague after plague, but he rejected all of that. He seeked card in his heart. And so on the sixth plague, what did the Bible say? Yahuwah now was the one who hardened his heart. In other words, Pharaoh crossed that point of no return. You get it? In our life, there's always going to be that point of no return. We have to be careful. This is why we have to repent right away. Don't postpone. Repentance. Who also is an example of one who postponed repentance? Let's read 1 Kings 22. Then uh, Micaiah continued. Listen to what Yahuwah says. I, Yahuwah, I saw Yahuwah sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. And Yahuwah said, who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? There were many suggestions. And finally, a spirit approached Yahuwah and said, I can do it. This is very interesting. <laughs> so here's Ahab. We know about Ahab. He's one of the worst kings ever, right? I mean, when you read the Bible about Ahab, he even married who? Jezebel to make things worse. He put a lot of prophets to death. But you know, Yahuwah had mercy for some reason. He sent him a prophet, one of the great prophets of old. Who's that? Elijah, to try to convince him to repent. But time... And time again and again, he kept refusing to repent. And so Yahuwah said, enough is enough. And so he decided, this Ahab's going to go down, <laughs> right? And so here's Micaiah, a prophet. And he gives us insiders, insiders information, an insider's view of what happened in the throne of Yahuwah. So in the throne, there's Yahuwah sitting on his throne. And an army of heaven, these are angels, celestial beings who are with him. And Yahuwah asks a question, who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? And then he comes, a spirit approaches Yahuwah and said, I can do it. Who that spirit is, I don't know. But it tells us about the inner workings of spirits and, and devils and demons. Because remember, sometimes Yahuwah brings all of them together, including the bad ones, right? Shaphan, when he had a conversation with God concerning Job. And so here's a throne room uh, episode, and all these different beings are there. And Yahuwah is approached by this spirit and says, I can do it. What happened? 22. How will you do this? Yahuwah asked. And the spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said Yahuwah. Go ahead and do it. So you see, Yahuwah has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets, for Yahuwah has pronounced your doom. And so here's an example of Ahab, because he kept refusing to repent. He kept remaining stubborn and rejecting the admonitions of Yahuwah through the prophet Elijah and the other prophets. Yahuwah said, enough is enough. You're going to go down. And he permitted this spirit to 
put a lying spirit in the mouths of all the prophets who serve for Ahab. Because the question was, should I go to battle? If I go to battle, will I win? And so these lying spirits told the prophets of uh, Ahab, you're going to win. <laughs> when in fact, he's going to lose. This is why we have to repent. If we don't repent, we might end up like becoming Pharaoh or Ahab, right? Let's not postpone repentance. Do you know why it's not good to postpone repentance? Book of Timothy. The spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Why must we not postpone repentance? Because if we keep postponing repentance and we keep not changing our ways, what happens to our conscience? It becomes seared. It becomes useless. And then we will lose that desire to repent until eventually we reach that point of no return and we begin to believe in lies, right? And that is not good because Yahuwah wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we must repent because if we're not repentant, then we cannot receive and welcome that knowledge of the truth. And so just like the lying spirit was permitted during the days of Ahab, the whole world today, time will come, there's going to be a powerful lying spirit that will be, well, that will basically hypnotize the whole world. And the reason for that is, why, what is the cause for that? Why will they, they not recognize the work of the wicked one? Take a look at Thessalonians. The wicked one will come with the power of Satan and perform all kinds of false miracles and wonders and use every kind of wicked deceit on those who will perish. They will perish because they did not welcome and love the truth so as to be saved. And so God sends the power of error to work in them so that they believe what is false. The result is that all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in sin will be condemned. So just like Ahab, just like Pharaoh, they would be consumed by the power of error. There's a spirit of lying in their minds and it will not enable them to distinguish between the false prophet or the antichrist or the wicked one and the true messengers of Yahuwah. And where did it begin? Because they did not welcome and love the truth. You see, the more we reject the truth, the harder it is for us to receive it in the future. And one of the enemies of truth, you know what it is? It's traditions, right? Traditions. Human, man-made rules and traditions. Because all of us, we grew up in a faith. Ever since we were kids, we were taught what, is, what to believe. But did we have ever really test it out? No, we did not. Because there's this powerful grip of tradition, especially where we came from, INC. There's so many traditions that we never question. We never test it. And so what we need to do is test it. But who are those who will be willing to test it and know the truth? Those who welcome and love the truth. Brethren, we have to love the Bible. We have to love the truth. Because if not, we're going to be given the power of error. And so we end up believing what is false. And we're going to end up just like Pharaoh and Ahab. We don't want that, do we? So we need to repent. Repentance involves studying the word of God. It is impossible to repent without a knowledge of the word of Yahuwah. So complete repentance. And lastly, 
brothers and sisters, we're almost done. John 17, 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, who's the one speaking here? Yahusha. It's actually a prayer. Yahu is praying to his father. Yahusha says, uh, I do not ask the disciples, us, to be taken out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. So Yahusha knows there's that evil one. And now I am coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them and not one of them was lost except the man who was bound to be lost so that the scripture might come true. And so what is another powerful way to resist the devil, to resist the enemy? Our King Yahushua says, keep us safe by the power of the name of Abba. The power of the name that he has given me. And so the power of the name of the Father and the power of the name of the Son, right? There's power in that name. By the power of that name, we can be kept safe from the evil one. Well, what is that name of the Father? Proverbs 18, the name of Yahuwah is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. There is power in the name of Yahuwah. This is why when even when we invoke the name of Yahuwah, there is power. Yahuwah himself invoked his own name. There's power. There's safety, protection when we invoke the name of Yahuwah. This is why we must be careful not to misuse the name of Yahuwah. Well, how about the name of the son? What is that? Philippians, for this reason, God raised him to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. And so in honor of the name of Yahushua, all beings in heaven, on earth, and in the world below will fall on their knees and all will openly proclaim that Yahushua Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. But also, what is the powerful name that the Bible speaks of? Here, Apostle Paul mentions the name of Yahushua, which is the name of the Son of God. And what is this name of Yahushua? Bible says it is the name greater than any other name. Why is the name Yahusha the great name above all other names? Because not only does it contain Yahuwah, it reveals the character of Yahuwah. Because Yahusha means Yahuwah saves. And for Yahuwah to save, what did he have to do? Give up his own son. That is called unfailing love. The greatest attribute of Yahuwah for our salvation. This is why it's the greatest name, because it reveals Yahuwah who gives up his son, Yahusha, that we might be saved. And so when we invoke the name Yahuwah, when we invoke the name Yahusha, it has great power, like Apostle Paul did. Acts 16, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. This went on day after day until Paul got exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Yahushua Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. So when we invoke the power or invoke the name of Yahuwah, the name of Yahushua, it has power to protect us against the enemy. And so the seven ways 
to resist the devil. Number one, do not give the devil a chance. Number two, put on the whole armor of God, be vigilant. Number three, grow our faith. Number four, grow in the word of Allahim. Number five, rely on Yahuwah's power and strength through prayer and consecration. Number six, complete repentance. And number seven, invoke the name of Yahuwah and the name of Yahushua. However, when we invoke the name of Yahuwah and Yahushua, we have to also fulfill this very important part that we haven't discussed yet. You see, not only must we invoke the sacred names, the Bible says, as we will see, we need to live according to the sacred names. Okay? Because it's not simply invoking the name like some kind of magic incantation, right? There are people who believe in magic, abracadabra, the name of Yahuwah, the name of Yahushua. Yes, they are sacred. Yes, they are filled with power. However, we need to learn how to use it. Why? Why do we need to learn how to live according to the sacred names? The book of Acts 19, 13, 16. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Yahushua over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Yahushua, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirits answered them, Yahushua, I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you again? <laughs> who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> so here are these people who invokes the name of Yahushua, but they were embarrassed. The evil spirits were laughing at them. I know Yahushua. I even know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> And so these people were beaten and they were ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What does that tell us? You don't simply invoke the name. Who are those who can invoke the name with power and how must we do so? Oh, let's read the book of 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having the seal. Number one, Yahuwah knows those who are his. Number two, and everyone who names the name of Yahuwah is to abstain from wickedness. Two things. Those who have the privilege and honor to use the name are those who belong to Yahuwah. The Bible says, I know, or Yahuwah knows, who are his. This is why these people in the book of Acts 19 who use the name of Yahushua, what was the problem? They were not known by Yahuwah, right? I don't know who you are. And so even the devil not recognize that. No, they, they don't really belong to Yahuwah. This is why... It's not for everyone to just use and misuse. It's specifically given to those who belong to Yahuwah. And Yahuwah says, I know those who are mine. That's why, brothers and sisters, it's a great blessing to use that name. And I'm sure many of you can give your own testimony concerning what you have received. When by faith you call upon the name of Yahuwah. What else? The Bible says those who have been given the privilege and right to use that name. What did he say? Everyone who names the name of Yahuwah is to abstain from wickedness. This is why if we have the privilege of using that name, we have to take care of it. How so? We have to make sure we abstain from wickedness. Because when we use and proclaim the name of Yahuwah and Yahushua, we represent that name. If we go around doing wickedness, then we are blaspheming that name. 
And so we have to be careful with how we live. We proclaim the name. Be careful how we live because we might end up really sinning against Yahuwah and Yahusha. Do you know what it means to be given that name? Because all of us, we have been given that name, right? Do you know what the purpose of Yahuwah is in giving us that name? Let's read. We're almost done. Matthew 7. Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to use that name, we have to fulfill the purpose for why the name was given to us. When you introduce your name to someone, what does that mean? You're ready to have a relationship with that person. You don't give your name to someone who is your enemy or someone who is an adversary. But when it comes to giving the name, and we're going to have a Bible study on this in the future, because it's so, I mean, if you go through all the way back to the time of Abraham, time of Moses, every time the name of Abba is used, it establishes the relationship process. Yahuwah relating with people. When Yahuwah gave us his name, it was for the purpose of deepening that relationship with us. And when we use the name without the relationship, we are misusing the name. This is why Yahushua said, many people are going to be surprised because they're using the name to cast out demons, right? They're using the names to do many wonders and miracles. They're using the name in prophecy. But what's the problem? Yahushua says, I never knew you. The word known. That's a word that describes a relationship. You see, Yahushua gave us the name of Abba and his name so that we can establish a relationship with him, a covenant relationship. You know what the basis of that covenant relationship is? It's not just praying to him, but it's about being lawful. This is why Yahushua says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice law, lessness. What is the basis of the law? The Ten Commandments. How can we know we truly love God? Obey the Ten Commandments. How can we know we truly know God? But obey the Ten Commandments. And so Yahushua is telling us, those who receive and invoke the name Yahuwah and Yahushua, they must nurture that relationship with Yahuwah and Yahushua. One of which is to obey the commands. This is why our King Yahushua said, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, that I have known you, Yahushua has a relationship with the Father. And his prayer here is for, for us to also have that same relationship. And these have known you, sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Isn't that beautiful? Yahushua is telling us that he knows the Father and that he has a relationship with the Father. And he wants us to have that same relationship. This is why, what did he do? He gave us his name. And he will continue to make it known. Because when we are given the name, the privilege to use the name, to call upon the name, 
it's the privilege of having that relationship with the Father through our King, Yahushua. It's about a relationship, brethren. You don't simply invoke the name. You have to live the purpose of why the name was given. Invoke and live. Yes, use the name. But let's make sure as we use the name, we're living the purpose for why Yahuwah gave it to us in the first place. And if we do that, what is the promise given to us by Yahushua? Let's read one more passage before we pray. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Yahushua replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. What is the promise of our King Yahushua? As we proclaim the name of Abba, Yahuwah, we proclaim his name, Yahushua. And while doing so, we live according to the commandments given to us. The Ten Commandments of Abba that Yahushua preached and practiced and fulfilled. Bible says we will be loved by Yahushua, loved by Yahuwah Abba, and he will make our home. He will, he will, they will come and make our home with each of them. That's what Yahushua said. And when you talk about love, that's the purpose of the commands. You see, it's a relationship that Yahuwah is looking for. Yahushua is looking for. Are we fulfilling that command? Are we seeking out the presence of Yahuwah and Yahushua? Because think about it, brethren. We're human beings, right? We have limitations. We're up against enemies far superior to us. Am I right? We're against the devils. We're against demons. Who are we to fight against them? But think about it. If Yahuwah and Yahusha is in our home, is in our life, we have nothing to fear. This is why the best way to overcome the devil is to have Yahuwah and Yahusha be in us by the power of his spirit. When that happens, the devil's going to be far away from us because he knows he can't touch us, cannot influence us because we're influenced by Yahuwah and Yahusha by means of the spirit. Fill our lives with the spirit of Allah and the evil spirit cannot touch us. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, merciful Yahuwah Abba, thank you for giving us the gift of your name. We invoke the power of your name, Yahuwah, because we believe in you as our Father, the creator of all things, who loves us supremely. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving us so much. You gave up your son. Every time we call upon the name Yahuwah, Every time we call upon the name Yahushua, we are reminded of your sacrifice, how much you love us. In love, there is no fear. And so we are not afraid of the adversary. We are prepared for battle, but we will rely on your strength. Bless your people. Bless our loved ones. Bless our children. Bless our parents. Bless our homes. Keep us away from the adversary. Father, help us to overcome temptation. When we will be tested, help us to pass the test, to call upon you, Yahuwah. When we invoke that powerful name, manifest yourself. Speak to our hearts. Let us know you are with us. If you are with us, who can be against us? Oh, loving Abba, do not forget your people. We know we are sinners against you. Forgive us. 
Forgive us, please, all of our iniquities and make us whole once again. Teach us to repent. Teach us to return to you and to grow in faith and in your words. Our King Yahushua, praises be to Abba. You have been given to us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Oh, King Yahushua, help us to be strong when we fight the fight of our faith. Help us to hold on to you and to the promises you have given us. May you dwell in our hearts, dwell in our homes. Help us to overcome the wiles of the enemy. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Teach us to live by love. Teach us to forgive. Teach us to trust you and your timing so that we will never be discouraged. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.